I enjoyed your clapping with the Hail Mary he talked about with Micah. It really was. It was a Hail Mary. I was uh, up in, yeah, amen. Yeah, I was telling Bella, uh, who was singing up here, I told her, I said, uh, you know, when you hear that a young guy does really well, uh, you prepare to leave. And uh, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, joking, back off, jeepers. No, but uh, aren't we blessed with a bench that, I, I personally think it exceeds the starters, but that's my own opinion. It was, uh, it was interesting, um, and, and I love the passage today because it ties in with, I, I, didn't, I wasn't with you last Sunday, but uh, my wife, Michelle, basically has been gone for seven weeks, and she was caring for her folks uh, up in um, uh, near Grass Valley. They have a, a lake house they've had for 20-something years, and Dee wanted to go up there, and she wanted to spend about two months up at the lake house. And I told my wife as, you know, she was going to have to take them because Dee has COPD and, you know, there's tanks that go along with all that. And, you know, they're, they're go-getters, but they're in their 80s. Uh, Dee's uh, lower 80s, Tom's upper 80s. And, um, and I knew Michelle was going to go with them. And then I told her, I go, you know, the minute you get there, the adjustment's going to be hard, and I, I guarantee you Dee's going to go into the hospital, and you're going to be there for weeks. I said, they need, you know, nursing care. And my wife looks at me kind of like, where's your servant's heart? Okay. <laughs> All right. And seriously, she, she, she loves to serve, and she loves her parents, and she's honoring them and blessing them. And she goes up there, Dee goes in the hospital. She's in and out of the hospital because the equipment, they had to dial it in. COPD is awful. If you're smoking right now, stop. Can I get an amen, please? Uh, if you're online and you're smoking, why? Stop. I just do a few packs a day. Okay, well, then you'll die a few packs early. It's It's terrible. And Dee stopped when I think we got married, a little bit before we got married. Um, so that's over 30 years, and it still comes to get you. And um, so she's, she's in and out of the hospital. They finally get her to UC Davis. They're dialing in the equipment. All of you are praying. Miracle after miracle. They end up putting her in a room with a woman who has this next stage of COVID, and they want you to come in in hazmat suits. I'm like, you're putting a COPD patient with a... COVID, uh, what are we trying to do here? Start up something so we can scare everybody half to death? And this militant nurse is coming in, where's your hazmat suit? <laughs> I love my in-laws, so I'm going to listen, but I'm leaving now. It's just, it's, it's irritating what the medical profession is doing to our populace. But uh, D, D has been on ivermectin and, you know, everyone thought, well, we're going to be able to compromise her and take her out. And she just rose to the occasion, like, is that all you got? And she's, she's tough as nails. She's just, uh, yeah, she's solid. So she's, she's doing great. The equipment's dialed in. Michelle came home. We celebrated her seven weeks absence. And, uh, and through the process of that, I learned something about myself. I'm an evil human being. <laughs> Maybe you don't have that problem. Maybe you are on the straight and narrow and you never have a problem uh, going off track with the Lord. Any of you ever had that problem? Who hasn't answered? Because you're lying. You're probably a mess right now. But the question is, how do you get back on track? And, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think the one thing I'm really, really gifted at is failing. It just comes natural to me. I'm, I'm so gifted at that. 
I don't have to practice the sin. It seriously just comes natural. I, I'm, I'm shocked that I'm not getting a better response. The thing that's really hard for me that isn't natural is to walk with the Lord. That requires death. And um, I don't like to die. I'm very selfish. You know, I have that problem in this room, I guess. And this is going to be a hard sermon if we're going to keep this up. You know, we're going to Israel February 13th to the 24th. Um, we got Calvary Chapel Chattanooga going with us. We got a bunch of really cool folks. And, and the trip to Israel every year puts me on track. It, it renews my love for the Lord. And uh, it connects me with the congregation. I want you guys to just keep considering that. But I, this, this time up in Northern California was brutal for me. Um, I don't share well, even if it's my in-laws who were sharing Michelle. And I'd look at him and I'd think, Tom, my father-in-law, dude, you've put satellites into space. I think you can figure out how to run that machine. Can Michelle come home now? You know? And Michelle just serving, and doggone it, I get up there, and I've got an attitude, and my mother-in-law goes, you stepped in here, and it's like the Holy Spirit walked in. Conviction on me. I'm like, no. No, D, you have no idea how I do not represent the Holy Spirit. And uh, I, I just, I remember it was just, it was rough. And spending time just saying, Lord, what do I do here? When, when did this get difficult? And he's so faithful, even when we aren't. And I love the fact that I'm going through Joshua. Even though I haven't been here, we're going to be doing Joshua chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, turn to it, if you would. And these folks are passing out Bibles. I'll give you one. Joshua 8. We, we took a look at... Um, the defeat in Ai because of Achan's sin. Achan rhymes with bacon. And they went out with 3,000 people and they got a proverbial butt kicking. And they didn't understand why. They, they thought the Lord had abandoned them. Well, the Lord didn't abandon them. They abandoned the Lord. They didn't want to do it his way. They decided to do it their way. And they decided to be disobedient. And that always puts us in a predicament with the Lord God loves a, a, a broken and contrite heart and a humble spirit. He loves it when we seek him. He loves obedience. He's a good parent because when we go astray, he lets us experience the consequences of our action. He doesn't helicopter parent us. You know, you're, you're playing with a fork near the light socket. He'll let you just put that in there. It just gets snapped real bad. And you're like, why didn't you stop <laughs> Because I knew it wouldn't kill you. Just make you stronger. <laughs> and the Lord doesn't helicopter parent us. He lets us go off track so we can realize how bad it is when we don't obey him. The Bible says obey your parents. Go well with you. You live long on the earth. It's the fifth commandment that comes with a promise. In the land that I have placed you, you'll dwell richly if you obey your parents. Because if you can obey earthly parents who are flawed... You wouldn't have any problem obeying God. The Bible says, honor those in positions of authority over you to go well with you as well. Because if you can learn to obey, you know, fallen bosses, you wouldn't have any problem obeying a good God. Now, granted, sometimes it doesn't make sense, and that's what makes my job difficult is 
hermeneutically, it's Hermes was a mythical creature that communicated between the gods and man. And my job is to communicate, you know, the Lord to humanity. And sometimes he's hard to explain. And I, I'm like, man, you, you really screwed this one up. I have no idea how to communicate you right now. But the one thing I do know is even though at times he doesn't make sense, he is doing something good. And it will ultimately work together for good. And, and you can trust that. that. That's one thing I do know. And when I say no, that's experientially no, K-N-O-W. I know that. So through this, we get to the passage, and I start to read it. And I had gone off track with the anchored reading to pick up my one-year Bible and start that again because I wanted to have a book in my hand. I'm tired of looking at my phone. I want to walk away from my phone. As a matter of fact, one of the things I found that when I had to go up and help Michelle and go up and be with my in-laws, I, I had no time for a phone. I had over 900 unanswered texts. And some of them, people got angry. I'm like, oh, you just get to parachute in because you're texting and you get to inf- you know, put yourself to the front of the line because you're texting and you're irritated because I'm not responding to your text. That's just too bad. (laughs) How is it that you can be with somebody and you can be talking to them and someone can parachute in on a text and you look over at the person you're with and you're like, where'd you go? Well, I'm just responding real quick to the, I don't talk that way and you think I'm making it up like it's Michelle. Well, it is me too. I'm like, I'm tired of doing those things. I can't concentrate on two things. And, and I realize when people get irritated because you don't respond to their text, you, you realize um, now there's an entitlement. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to walk away from my phone. and just walk away from it. I, I remember we used to argue in our home who'd answer the phone. <laughs> don't you remember that? Yeah. Now you ring and you get in. Doesn't matter if you're sitting down with your boss or your spouse or you know the president. No, that doesn't matter. But if you're, it, they get priority because they're calling. Oh, my phone is is speaking to. So I wanted to walk away from that. And hold a book in my hand. I've been doing the one year Bible. It's been refreshing. And the Lord brought me to two passages that deeply ministered to my heart. And then reading Isaiah, the Lord gave me the title for the, for, the, for the sermon today, how to get back on track with the Lord. Maybe you don't need this, so you just check out. <laughs> if that's you, I'd get a pen because you, you will be in trouble very soon with that attitude. And you want to take notes today. I had I come across Revelation 12.10. Because this is the one that gets me when I get off track with the Lord. Um, Satan is so good at accusing me. He's the accuser of the brethren. Did you know that? And he loves, he loves to isolate you and tell you and remind you of all of your sin and all of your failure. And he's so good at it. He's got a laundry list. He blue chip stamps you to death. He just dumps on you. He's like, cashing those in. And... and um, Revelation 12, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Amen. And cast down and put into a pit by an angel whose name we don't even know. Satan is not God's equal. He's a created being. 
And I, I want us to take a look at the passage in Joshua 8. And we're going to read just a couple of verses at the beginning. So would you stand for the reading of the word of the Lord with me? Here they are up here if you don't have your Bible. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you, and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourself. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. That's all I'm going to cover. The rest of it will come together. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage in Joshua. Thank you, God, for the victory at Ai. Where there was once defeat, there's now victory. Lord, there's restoration for those of us who have failed and want to get back on track with you. We keep a short account. We repent. It means we turn 180 degrees and we get back on track. We look to you, the author and finisher of our faith, knowing that you who began a good work, you were faithful to complete it, whenever that would be, standing in your presence, known as I am known, and knowing as I am known, seeing you face to face. As Christians, we don't, we don't die. We just begin to truly live. And so, Lord, please let us keep our eyes on you, the author and finisher of our faith. Help those men and women in this room and across the land that can hear through the marvels of the internet. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to get back on track, to forget what is behind and strive for what is ahead, to take hold of that for which you, Christ Jesus, have taken hold of us. Lord, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have cast our sin as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. And today, Lord, I pray that through this picture of victory where there was once horrific defeat, we'd learn how to do it right. And so, Lord, speak to your people as they anxiously await the truth of your word. May man decrease that your spirit might increase. Receive all the glory today, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat if you would. God gives Joshua a battle plan for Ai. As you recall in the previous chapter, there was a horrific defeat. Ai pummeled Israel. Israel went with uh, 3,000 people. They, they figure we don't need that many. The last one was walk in the park. I mean, that's Jericho. And we can take AI down with 3,000 3, people. And they march in there and they just get obliterated. They come to find out that there's sin in the camp. Your Christian walk is doing well. And somewhere along the lines, you allowed something to be buried into your life. And you're protecting it and keeping it there and it's a stench 
The Bible says all things are laid bare before the eyes of God. He's, he's not fooled by you. He knows what you're doing. He's going to allow the consequences of that to manifest itself and reveal itself. He's giving us the opportunity to repent, which just means to get back on track. That's all it means. It's just 180. It's just you're, you're going away from the cross. You turn and embrace the cross. And to do that, to repent, means to turn away from the things that, that you're, you've buried in your tent and you want to go and look at. You, you, you buy a lottery ticket because it's, it's an inexpensive drug to lay on your bed and wonder what you're going to do when you win. And your life will be better. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. Why are you so dissatisfied that you'd, you'd dream What's lacking in your life? And why is it lacking? Are people responsible for your emptiness? I kind of thought that way with Michelle. She's not responsible for my happiness. Did you know that? She's responsible for being obedient to the Lord who called her to serve her folks. And she did a really excellent job and I'm proud of her. And I'm, a, I'm, I'm sad for her that she's married to a man who doesn't get it sometimes. He's a little slow. I've talked to him. But you know, the measure of a man is not his inability to fail. There'd be no men. We're all failures in some capacity. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The measure of a man is what he does after he fails. You learn from it? Are you wiser? Do you return to the Lord? Or do you double down on your stupidity? It's often difficult to regain lost ground such as AI when we failed at some point in our Christian lives. We need to know how to get back on track. What is past is past. We must deal with it before God by repentance and dying to self and then look forward to what he has for us without delay. God wants us to use our failures in a good way, to use them as a fountain for a great victory in the Lord. God's going to show Joshua how to do it right. The nations return to the Lord. The nation's a fickle group of folks. I was reading where Isaiah was speaking to the Lord, or the Lord was speaking to Isaiah uh, about the depravity of Israel. Just read, just read the first six chapters. It's nauseating. And then he, he gets to chapter 1, verse 16, and the Lord says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil from your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. A nation whose capital once had the most trusted laws in the world was now desolate with briars and thorns, no more vineyards. You walk away from the principles of the Lord and you operate in a context of unwillingness and disobedience, then God doesn't give you the good of the land. You're wondering why your life is a drought right now and why you feel empty and distant. It's because you've walked away from the Lord. You're off track. And, and listen, 
Don't be shocked by that. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I mean, there are a handful of folks in this room, and praise God for them, that have never really had a straying. And they're unique creatures. God's wired them that way. And by the way, don't take credit for it. God made you that way. And, and there's some of you, you know, you had, you've had... Um, You've been addicted. You've had addictions. You know, there are people I've met that God came and said, you know, I'm just going to remove that. Yeah, I was a full heroin addict, and overnight it just went away. I look at them going, why, why, why are we doing this still? Do that to me. I'm not a heroin addict, so don't just. <laughs> Man, you guys go everywhere with that. It's just assumptions everywhere. But you can put anything in there you want. I mean. You know, God doesn't take the man behind the wooden stand to impress you because I'm so unbelievably gifted in that. He takes the foolish things of the world, confound the wisdom of the wise. He wants you to look and say, if, if that guy can do it, anyone can. But I'm going to tell you, there are people in this room, a handful of them that have been given that gift by, by God. And remember, it's a gift. And, and you have a testimony, and that testimony is the Lord. And there's others that, man... You scrape through every day just trying to keep your eyes on the Lord. But I, I will say this, everyone in the room's failed. Everyone's tried to conquer AI on their own terms. Lord, I got this. When you're walking with the Lord, you're, you're born on third base. You think you hit a triple. Everything you have in your life that's good is a gift from God. And when you start thinking, I'm deserving of it or I accomplished it, you're going to have a defeat in AI. You're going to lose your marriage. You didn't build that marriage. God did. Marriage is his idea. Faithfulness is his idea. It's a microcosmic picture of Christ's love for the church. He has answers to all of it. He created marriage and he sustains marriage. And we have to keep our eyes on him, the author and finisher of our faith. Some of you have, have experienced the defeat of AI. How do you get back on track and have a victory in AI? The passage says, take all the people of war with you and arise and go up to AI. And this is the, the beginning of getting back on track. God wasn't despondent or depressed. God's not caught off guard when we fail. He's not like, oh, God, I can't even work with these people. They're pathetic. <laughs> you, you turn to me, God says, and I will turn to you. Come to me. Oh, you who are burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. God's not despondent or depressed. He didn't want Joshua or the nation of Israel to be either. Now it was time to get busy and set about being victorious for the, for the Lord because he had not abandoned them. God will never leave you nor forsake you. You may think he's distant. He's not. You are. An unwillingness to turn to God in these times of crisis like you can win this victory in AI all by yourself. You are self-deceived. He's going to let you put that fork in that light socket as often as you want until you get your mind right and realize I can do no things. I, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Apart from him, I can do nothing. That bothers some of the proud in the room. Irritates you a little bit. You're, you're done with me. You won't be the first who's walked out. Go ahead. I'm, I'm serious. That doesn't bother me. But when you walk out, remember, you're all by yourself. 
You're walking out because you really, honest to God, think you're going to do this without him. You're self-made. No, you aren't. There's not a single part of yourself you've made. I mean, I've made my own business. Who kept your heart beating and your lungs moving while you slept at night? Who? God did. You were fearfully and wonderfully made, fashioned together in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I knew you. God wants to have a relationship. God hasn't abandoned you. He wants you to come back. You want a victory where there was once awful defeat? It's time to do it his way. And what he's saying is, okay, get up. Dust yourself off. Put on your big boy pants or your big girl pants. And let's do it my way. You know what the theme song in hell is? I did it my way. <laughs> I don't know how it goes, but yeah. We do it his way. Getting back on track, this passage adds, only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. I love that because I was thinking about Achan, rhymes with bacon. God allows them to keep the spoil from the city of Ai. How foolish the sin of Achan seems now. He could have had all his heart's desire if he'd only waited on the Lord for it. You know why we hide things in our tent that God doesn't want us to do? Because we don't trust him. We think there's happiness in that, even though it threatens to destroy our family. It's like hiding nuclear material in your tent. And you're looking at your kids going, why is your hair falling out? <laughs> Had Achan just waited on the Lord, he wouldn't be dead and his family wouldn't be destroyed. Lead your family. Be anxious in nothing, but in all things. By prayer, which is talking to God, and supplication, which is telling him your heart. He'll guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in him. Another way to get back on track, the passage says, lay an ambush for the city behind it. God gives Joshua a plan for conquering the city of Ai. And now he must follow it. And when we need to regain victory, we must follow God's plan. Wait a minute. We're going to set an ambush behind it and let all the men come out and chase us? And then half of our group's going to go in and kill them? And then the ones that are being chased? What are we going to... I mean, he, Joshua can go through a, all, all of the different iterations in his mind and get scared. But let's remember, Joshua... You guys took 3,000 people out with you last time and you got a proverbial butt kicking. Now, are you going to do it God's way or are you still going to pretend you know how to do it without him? Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor according to what God had declared. This time Joshua did not send 3,000 men as before. Now he sent 30,000 mighty men of valor. When we need to regain victory, we must use every resource and the best resources. Give God the best of your life. Don't tip him. Don't wink at him. Hey, if I need you, I'll call on you. Big man in the sky. We got an arrangement. If I need him, I let him know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Most Christians are like, they're on life support with the Lord. Yeah, I, I am. He's my lung machine, my heart machine. 
I'm, I'm literally dead without him. Oh, but you just, you'll call on him when you need him. Good for you. Look at you. Look at you. Because we're looking at you and we think you're a fool. You look in the mirror and you think you're all that and more. You're deceived, self-deceived. God wants you to obey him and all your ways acknowledge him. And he'll keep your path straight. He'll keep you on track. He'll, he'll order your steps for you and your family. He'll give you wisdom beyond your years. Joshua lodged that night among the people. I love this. Joshua means God saves. It's Jesus' name, Yeshua. Did you know that? Joshua was especially near his people during the crucial time to try to regain victory. The people needed to know he was near and needed to follow his leadership. He was among the people. If we will regain victory, we must live and follow Jesus, who is our Joshua. He's always near to us in these crucial times in our Christian life and always goes first to lead us into battle. Call on the name of the Lord. He will show you great and mighty things you know not of. The battle belongs to the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. He'll make your paths straight. Joshua's with you. Jesus is with you. Call on him. All the people of war who were with him went up and drew near. If Israel would gain victory, they had to take the offensive. They didn't wait for Ai to bring the battle to them. They brought the battle to Ai. Joshua went that night into the midst. We often see the battle against sin in negative terms about what not to do. But we must take the offensive against the powers of darkness and temptation and be busy doing what the Lord would have us do. You know what? Cleanse your, your house of it all. Go on the offensive. The battle that we see of David when he takes on Goliath is not a story on how to defeat a giant. It's a story of how content God's people are to allow Satan to occupy territory that right, rightfully belongs to God. They were in Succoth, uh, uh, Daman, which belonged to Judah. And Goliath is in there taunting the armies of God and everyone's paralyzed by a nine foot, 10 inch giant, but David takes him on and decimates him. He didn't need to know how to defeat a giant. He just knew that guy doesn't belong here. This is God's territory. He, he opened up a can of Jesus. He's not going to get the lid on. <laughs> David never called Goliath a giant. He never called him a champion. Did you know that? Everyone else did. He never called him a giant. He never called him a champion. He called him a defiler of the armies of Israel, an uncircumcised Philistine. He didn't even have a relationship with a living God. Who is this? And he walked out on that field as a ruddy little boy. And Goliath was, he, he, didn't, he didn't have Mike Tyson's voice. He had Mike Tyson's body, but just taller, bigger, and thicker. No neck, though. Just <laughs> and he hits you and your whole family feels it. But he didn't talk like Mike Tyson. Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. No, he, this guy just c consumed you. The ground shook when he spoke. I'm going to rip your head off from your carcass, and the birds of the air will consume you. And David's like, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to rip your head off, and then the birds of the air are going to just, well, that same ditto. Goliath is like, what? And he comes running at him. 
The ground's shaking. Most people go, <laughs> run that way. Don't bother washing the underwear, just burn them. Let's go. <laughs> and he's, he's running, Goliath's running at David. Nine feet, 10 inches covered in bronze from the tip of his head to the sole of his feet, shimmering in the Middle Eastern sun. David's got nothing but a, two pieces of string and a flat leather, leather pouch. Most inaccurate weapon ever devised by man. Oh, okay. It's a sling. Goliath runs at him. He begins to run at Goliath. And now it's really inaccurate. He's reaching in his pouch because he's got six stones because Goliath has brothers. And he's running and his heart's racing. There's no accuracy on the run. And not to mention he's covered in bronze except for this little area here. And I... I've told you this before. I know the stone went that way. <laughs> David never called Goliath a giant or a champion. He, he invoked a defiler of the armies of Israel, an uncircumcised Philistine. What he did invoke was the names of God. He says, the Lord of hosts. Yeah, a third of the angels rebelled, but there's two thirds remaining. And one angel took out 270,000 Assyrians. And I am surrounded by God's agents. We don't, we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spirits. Did you know that? You're wondering how you can say one thing to your spouse and they hear something totally different. First of all, I'm hard of hearing. I won't even tell you what I suffer from. I'll just give you the initials. CHS, can't hear, uh, I can't remember this, I can't, uh, CRS too, I can't remember, that's stuff, stuff, that's what it is. But you say something and then your spouse hears something totally different and they say something and you hear something totally different and you're wondering, how's this working? The prince of the air is like, <laughs> knows all the buttons to push to get you riled. Did, did you really go there? Go where? Well, you, you said, I didn't say that. We need, we, we need a, a court reporter right now. <laughs> Satan knows all the buttons to push and, and, and yet the beautiful thing about David is, is he said the Lord of hosts. I'm surrounded by angels. He called him the personal name of God, Jehovah, which is I am. He's self-existent and it's always attached to one of his attributes. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Tizdekinu, Jehovah Rapha. I will be for you, David, whatever you need when you need it. He also called him the living God. The Philistines had to bring Dagon out on a cart He's all glued together because his arms had fallen off from before. <laughs> they wheel him out there. He made a stone. They made him. They're like, I don't know what God he is, but hopefully he'll be able to, because, you know, look at those arms. Where's your God? He's alive. How do you know? I just talked to him. 
and he's going to whoop you. (laughs) David called him the living God. David walked out in obedience to the Lord and struck him down. And you think a guy like David, a guy like David is immovable. He's a man's man. He wouldn't fall prey to that stupidity again, let God take him. David's greatest victory was over Goliath, and then shortly his greatest defeat was with Bathsheba. He committed two sins for which there was no sacrifice in all of Israel, adultery and murder. And he did it all because of this woman. He watched her bathing up on the rooftop. He should have been at war doing this stuff. Instead, he stayed back to do that stuff. You know, the most powerful sexual organ we possess is our mind. The sin is conceived there first. It's dangerous territory. David followed through on the mental gymnastics he had already yielded to. And he sleeps with her. She gets pregnant, puts a hit on her husband. There's no secrets in a palace. Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, knew he didn't sleep there. He slept on the doorstep, wanted all of Israel to know, I'm not going in there. I know what David did. David commands the officers, put Uriah on the front lines and then attack and then pull everyone back. Basically, leave him exposed, kill him. They did, he did, he died. David did it, he killed him, murdered him. After he committed adultery, he didn't have an affair. Affairs are fun, you dress up, you go to an affair. I was cracking up at uh, the death of that creature. (laughs) I was cracking up at Jerry Seinfeld who said, commit adultery. I mean, you're, you're committing yourself. Why not commit to marriage? You're obviously having to go all in to do whatever it is you're going to do. Not an affair, It's a, it's, a, it's a breaking of a promise. And so you look at David and you think, there's no hope for that guy. He's a train wreck. He understood a secret about God that Joshua understood, and so did the children of Israel after this victory in Ai. When you're honest with God, he's merciful with you. Let's just all take a deep breath and say, thank you. Amen. Thank you, God. Tell him what you've done. Don't hold back. Tell him where it is and get rid of it. David was confronted by Nathan, the prophet, who told him a story about, you know, it it was a fictional story, but it was relating to the truth of David committing adultery with Bathsheba. And, and he tells David the story, and David's like, kill that guy. Why would he, who, who would allow a man like that to live? As Nathan's telling him the story, and in the middle when David takes the bait, Nathan looks at him and goes, you the man. You're the guy in the story. You know what David could have done? I'm king, kill him. But he knew he reported to a greater king 
And he was convicted. And he penned these words in Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God. You know what mercy is? Not getting what you deserve. Mercy is greater than grace, by the way. The only way you can get mercy is someone else has to get what you deserve because God is just. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. It's a plea. And this was written after Nathan the prophet went to him after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in my sin my mother conceived me. I, this is generational. It's, it's intrinsic. It courses through the veins of my body and it did with my parents and my grandparents all the way back to Adam and Eve. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you make me to know wisdom. When I'm honest with you, you make me wise. But when I lie to you and lie to myself, I become stupid. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. I mean, that's really what it is. Everything hurts when you're out of the will of God and, and your, your marriage is in trouble. You just hurt. Physically, you hurt. Emotionally, you hurt. Spiritually, you, you were lost a long time ago. And it's manifesting itself in so many ways as you have endured this trauma, self-imposed in many respects. David says, you have broken, the bones that you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Isn't that a beautiful song? Amen. It was written from this. Oh, you're hard up. You haven't heard good music. Micah, get up here. Let's go. Cast me not away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. Do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and with whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. David wrote that. David said, I, I don't have a chance without you. Isaiah said to the nation, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away evil from your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil. 
Learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, as your sins were as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. You've heard it, but you need to hear it again. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's amazing. Joshua went that night into the midst. We often see the battle against sin in negative terms. God is not a cosmic killjoy. He's not here to ruin all the fun. He wants you to have life and life more abundant. He knows how it works. He made you. He is the ruler of the universe. He holds the heavens in the span of his hand. There are moral laws that he has created that if you are disobedient to, you will be adversely affected. It's like the law of gravity. I don't care if you're an atheist and you don't believe in the law of gravity. The law doesn't care. Go run off a cliff. I don't believe in this. I thought I'd fly. It's a law. It's a governed universe by a God of order who wants good for you. And he knows what you're doing is killing you and your family. Stop. He's pleading with you by the blood that poured out of every wound in his body that he could wash you as white as snow. For blood must be shed for the remission, the cleansing of sin. They struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. The victory and God's judgment is complete because of God's faithfulness to Israel and Israel's faithfulness to God. This is not a partial victory. Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. If Israel regained victory, they must show no mercy to their enemy, but crush the enemy completely at every opportunity. Don't give sin a foothold. Kill it. Kill it. Whatever sin you're unwilling to kill will ultimately kill you. God told Saul to wipe out the Amalekites. Don't let a single one of them survive. Anything they've ridden on or touched, burn it. Not only does he keep all the spoils for himself in disobedience to God, he keeps the king of the Amalekites alive, Agag. And Samuel shows up and says, what have you done? God said, wipe them out. You've, you've kept the spoils that they've touched. These were the people that preyed on our people, our infirmed when we were coming out of Israel or out of Egypt. They lost their right to live because they've disobeyed God. Don't do the same. He's no respecter of persons. Just because you're Jewish doesn't mean you get to survive in disobedience. 
do what he said. Same with Christians. Do what God said. Saul's up on the mountain and the enemies are closing in. He's lost. He doesn't want them to do to him what he did to Agag and parade the king that's been conquered in front of the people who were the conquerors. So he tries to kill himself, which is a sin. He's falling on his spear, can't get the job done. And there's someone on the mountain. He says, kill me, take my life from me. He says, who are you? And the reason why we know this story is because the same person who killed Saul at Saul's request went and told David, David killed him. When Saul said, who are you? I'll never forget the guy's answer. And, and, and it doesn't say it in the reading. I hear it in my mind when he repeats it. Saul says, who are you? And he said, this is what I hear in my mind. I am an Amalekite. <laughs> Could you imagine being Saul? You disobeyed that commandment. The, the thing you were to kill is now about to kill you. Who are you? I'm an Amalekite. I have you now. You didn't kill me. I'm going to kill you. It's how I read. I'm troubled in a good way. Kill it or it'll kill you. Get rid of it. We can summarize the keys for victory from this chapter. Be encouraged, follow the Lord's plan, use every resource and the best resources, live and look to Jesus. Go on the offensive and show no mercy to your enemy. So far, Israel's experience is an illustration of the whole history and spiritual history of many Christians. Obedience followed by victory. Victory followed by blessing. Blessing followed by pride. And then disobedience. Disobedience followed by defeat. Defeat followed by judgment. Judgment followed by repentance. Repentance followed by obedience. Obedience followed by victory. And the cycle continues. There's a Scottish historian who was a Christian called Robert Teitler who called it the Teitler cycle. He said every nation goes through this every 250 years. And you go back into bondage. And then you, then you faith and then faith creates freedom. Freedom creates uh, abundance, abundance creates apathy, apathy creates dependence, dependence creates bondage. You know, it's a cycle of a, of a people. You deserve nothing. God wants to be everything to you. He wants you to obey him. He wants you to keep your eyes on him, the author and finisher of your faith. He wants you to destroy the thing that wants to destroy you. And we need to understand this. David did, as we had read earlier in Psalm 51. I'm going to do it one more time for closing. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge. That's important. That's called repentance. I admit. You've been lying. Admit it. I admit my transgressions and my sin is always before me. 
Against you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and my sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Honesty produces wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What is the fear of the Lord? Wanting to be truthful because you know he already sees it. Why are you lying? Why are you lying to each other? I've told you this before, it wasn't Hitler and his victims, it was Hitler and a complicit nation and everyone chose to lie to each other because they were too afraid of the consequences of truth. You know why you're lying? Because you love your sin more than you love God. You love your sin more than you love your family. You're convinced that you know how to deal with it You don't. I speak from experience. You don't. You never will. Repent. God is merciful. He is, when you're honest. You know, I know that because David, and you know also I know that because of Rob. God's merciful, but we need to be honest. Maybe it's a turnoff to you to have a pastor who can completely relate. But I don't think so. I think it's frightening to you that we're all this fragile and all all of us are this susceptible. Look, I'm just one beggar showing the other beggars where the food is. And the food is in honesty. Be honest with God. Get back on track. Kill that thing that wants to kill you. Save your family. You know what that's called? Revival. Let me pray for us. You know, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I, these, are, these are the times in a message where the words are leaving my mouth and I sense the heaviness of them. I, I'm, I'm an instrument. And I, I can't take people where I haven't gone myself. And, and I know right now I'm not praying, I'm speaking, but I still want your eyes closed, please, and your heads bowed. I want you to know that God is faithful and just. He began the good work, he will complete it. You can derail it by self-deception, thinking that you don't need the Lord and you can do it on your own, in your own way. You do it your way. You've come to realize how wrong you are. Some still haven't, but you will know soon. Your family knows. Let's just take care of it now. Kill the thing that's going to kill you and your family. And when I'm saying kill, I'm not talking about murder of another human being. Don't put words in my mouth. I'm talking figuratively about the idea of putting to death the thing that is consuming you. And be honest with God and he'll be merciful with you 
You won't get what you deserve. As a matter of fact, you'll get grace. You'll get stuff you didn't deserve, which is good stuff. And God made it all possible because he bled, suffered, and died for your sin that he could be just and merciful. Because blood had to be shed for the remission of sin and he poured his blood out on your behalf and mine. And today, we come in his presence for victory. There's many enemies in the land to be defeated, but if we cannot get our lives right with him, we will have no victory in the future. The Achans are dead. Jesus is alive. Call on him and he will save you. He will show you great and mighty things you know not of. He'll order your steps and he'll give you life and life more abundant. And God, we do just that right now. We call upon your name. We repent, we admit, and we ask you to take those transgressions we have confessed and blot them out according to your tender mercies. Cleanse us of our sin as we acknowledge our transgressions. We're aware of all of our failures. We know it's against you and you only that we've sinned and we've done this evil in your sight. We know that you're just when you speak, blameless when you judge. Lord, we know that the sin is intrinsic to us and it goes back generations to Adam and Eve. We want to be truthful men and women, truthful even in the hidden parts of our life that we would know wisdom, which is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of that wisdom. Cleanse us, God. We walk as though our bones are broken. We want to hear joy and gladness again. We need to be cleansed of our iniquity. Lord, please hide your, your, your face from our sins. Create in us clean hearts. Give us a steadfast spirit. Don't take your presence from us. Please, Holy Spirit, don't leave us. Restore the joy of your salvation and uphold us by your generous right hand, your spirit. Lord, then we will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Lord, we, we're guilty of the bloodshed. Deliver us from that guilt. There's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are the God of my salvation. My tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. God, thank you for this day. And thank you for this mighty work that you've accomplished in the hearts of all who are in the hearing of my voice. God, please bring an awakening and revival and let it begin with me. In Jesus' name, amen.